This is IAQ Radio, Indoor Air Quality Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry, with your hosts, Radio Joe Hughes and the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. And now, Radio Joe Hughes. Good day and welcome to IAQ Radio Plus. This week is episode 640 and we welcome Michelle Blevins. She's the owner and editor of Cleaning and Restoration Magazine, CNR. Looking forward to a, a great discussion on happenings in the cleaning and restoration world. Before we get started, we want to thank our sponsors. They are the reason we can continue doing the show. I also want to announce our new feature and its sponsor, IAQ Radio Afterthoughts Forum. We're going to have a new forum that's going to be called Afterthoughts, and it's sponsored by First On Site, and we're looking forward to launching that today after the show. So join us on the uh, after, after Show Afterthoughts. Our marquee sponsor is Instascope at instascope.co. Our association sponsors are the American Industrial Hygiene Association, AIHA.org, the American Conference of Governmental Industrial Hygienists, ACGIH.org, the Cleaning Industry Research Institute, CIRIScience.org, the Indoor Air Quality Association, IAQA.org, the Restoration Industry Association, restorationindustry.org. The Institute for Inspection, Cleaning, and Restoration Certification, IICRC.org. Healthy Buildings America 2021, HB2021-America.org. Industry sponsors are AEML Laboratories, AEMLINC.com. Particles Plus, ParticlesPlus.com. Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, GrayWolfSensing.com. TSI Inc., TSI.com, Sunbelt Rentals, SunbeltRentals.com, April Air, April, A-I-R-E.com, Healthy Indoors Magazine, HealthyIndoors.com. And now you can win a cool prize. It's time for the IAQ Radio Trivia Question. Be the first to correctly answer. Simply email your answer to czlotnick at cs.com. Or if listening live, just text your answer from your computer. And now, here's the Z-Man. Hello, everyone. Congratulations go out to Reedy Ward in Pinehurst, North Carolina, who was first to identify Blower Door as a device consisting of three components used to measure the air tightness of buildings, airflow between building zones, duct air tightness, and to physically locate air leakage sites in the building envelope. The IQ Radio Trivia question for today, October 1, 2021, has been sponsored by TSI Inc., an industry leader in precision instrumentation for the monitoring of indoor air. Learn how to expand your IQ investigations at TSI.com. Here's today's IQ Radio trivia question. Name the highly respected journalist and publisher who was credited with helping advance the flooring industry. He published National Floor Trends, Floor Covering Installer, and ICS Cleaning Specialist. Back to you, Joe. Michelle Blevins is a content creator, marketing consultant, and entrepreneur whose career has been centered on education and fostering relationships within the industries she serves. A journalist by trade, Michelle is passionate about running a publication 
rooted in integrity and valuable education. She views her role as owner and publisher of CNR Magazine as a bridge between industry experts and the restoration and cleaning contractors. Welcome back to the show, Michelle. Thank you very much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. I appreciate the invite. Good to have you. It's uh, kind of interesting. A lot of things changing in the restoration world. Uh, let's start a little bit about the the purchase of CNR. Uh, as I understand it, you you bought this uh, magazine and I guess all the associated uh, past articles, etc. I I did. Yes, that is true. I um, was fortunate enough to work with you know some people that I am close with in the RIA, and we talked it through and. Um, you know, I really felt like the industry, this industry loves print and loves having a print magazine and there's space for print and space for digital. So my dream with it was to create a full media brand for the industry. So it has the digital aspect. It has the print aspect. Um, so hopefully it serves the industry in the most well-rounded way possible. You know, it's a big jump. You, you went from, you know, working for someone, I assume, uh, and and now you're the boss, but you also have to, you know, pay the bills and, and all that. Um, what made you decide to go ahead and do this? Um, there were a number of reasons. You know, the big one is what I just said, that um, when my previous publication, when R&R um, did away with prints last year, that was a difficult uh-huh. um, transition for me. I felt like the industry needed more than more than that. And um, I started to have a hard time asking people to spend their time writing for the publication and, um, you know, using their time and resources. And so I just, I got more and more uncomfortable as it progressed. So that's why I ended up buying it. But um, I guess what made me do the, I mean, I'm trying to think if I have anything else to add to that. Uh, There were some, which I know that we're going to get further into the questions and that this will come up again, but there were some ethical things that just didn't sit right with me sometimes with how things went. And, you know, when you're part of a big media company um, or even a magazine that's tied to an association, there are loyalties that you have to pay kind of there are different rules that you have to live by and um some of those things just didn't always sit great with me so i'm hoping to walk some different ethical lines in this and not do pay to play and not have that mix um you know i was uncomfortable with people paying a lot of money to do a podcast with me or whatever that may be. I am happy to talk to people and, you know, if they have something educational or whatever to share, I want to be able to share that. And um, I kind of believe that if we're educating the industry in a good way, that the revenue and the advertising will follow because the magazine will be respected and people will realize that by being in there, they will be recognized hopefully as thought leaders. They will, um, they'll get the name recognition that they're looking for. There's, you know, I, hopefully this will bring a lot of value both to contractors and to the vendors as well. Yeah, it kind of unties your hands. You're, you're free, to, a free woman to do as you please now. I mean, that's great. I, I remember talking to you, you know, back in the, the days when uh, you were kind of, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of stuck by, yep. you know, yep. you're working for a big company, the, 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 people that pay the bills or the advertisers and, you know, it's tough, but now you've got a little, little uh, flexibility there. What about the old content? I mean, CNR is 
it's been around for many years. We were talking before the show here, and, and it may have been in the 60s, and there's a lot of old content, great stuff by Marty King and others. What will happen with that? Uh, I have to say that the old content was one of the things that excited me most about CNR because it has this amazing legacy and I don't want to change that at all. I want to build on that. There is so much value here in old articles from Marty and other people. Um, so it's it's a process right now. So I, John Isaacson is helping me. Thank goodness. I'm very thankful. And Pete, of course, is going to be a massive help in this. But I have the archives back to 2015 as of right now, um, and we are hoping to get all of all of them at some point. So, you know, I don't know how much is going to be digital when we do get them, how much is just going to be print and going to need to be digitized, but I'm prepared to do whatever it takes to make those archives available for the industry. Cause I think that's a huge resource and there's so much that we could pull from those and reshare, reuse, compare from, you know, what was happening in the sixties to today. There's, it will be, it, a vastly useful resource if we can get our hands on it. And I think that we will. We just haven't quite yet. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about the industry. Um, Are cleaning and restoration companies as hot an item as I, I gather? I see a lot of people selling their companies. Yes, I would say so. I um, had the privilege of speaking with Scott Severe um, at the CORE conference a few months ago, and then we did a podcast, and this was something, or I'm sorry, we did a webinar, and this is one of the topics that we covered, and I did some interactive stuff via Slido to see kind of what restoration contractors were saying about this and what their experiences were, and, you know, it's all a little bit relative, but one, in one of the sessions, 90% of the companies in the room had been approached about, by, about being bought. Um, wow. In the next session, I want to say it was around 70%. And then in the webinar, I think it was maybe around 60%. So it was a broad range, but that's still a massive number of contractors that are interested. So I think there are a lot of reasons that it's happening. Part of it is, um, you know, 65% of restoration owners are baby boomers. So they are, you know, a lot of owners now are at this stage of being ready to phase out. I mean, by 2024, baby boomer, the old, the youngest baby boomers are going to be 60. And today, the oldest this year will be 75. So, um, you know, and there are a lot of reasons for selling and looking to get out um, because they, one is retirement age. That's the number one reason that restoration contractors are selling right now is retirement age. But there's also burnout, health reasons, tax increases. And some people got burned out by COVID. Some people were like, I've had it and I'm out. Um, you know, there's also the huge- Hiring people right now is tough. Impossible. Yes. I, uh, I spent the last four years just up until I bought CNR also doing recruiting in the restoration industry. And that's an adventure, a big adventure. I don't envy companies at all trying to hire now. It was hard before, and it's really, really hard now. Well, and, and our new sponsor of Afterthoughts, First On Site, is one of these companies that's pulling groups together, you know, buying up... Yeah restoration companies across the country as someone who you know you're in the you're in touch with all these leaders and and the people that run the companies and then also the the people who have to get work done by these companies what do you think it will do for those who are you know the ones that are going to have to deal with the customer experience you know the the person that gets a flooded basement or the building owner that gets a flooded uh whatever office space I think it's going to depend. I don't know that I have like the full answer to this, of course, but I think there are a number of factors. Like it's still going to depend on how 
the companies run themselves, the kind of internal culture that these companies have and how they're training their people to work with customers and treat customers. You know, it starts with internal culture as to how um, customers are going to get treated. So, you know, there are some restoration companies, big and small, that have really good reputations and some that don't have good reputations. You know, a big name doesn't necessarily mean that you're always going to get the best service. So, um, I think that that's part of it. It starts with internal culture. As far as consolidation, I don't know how that's going to affect things, I guess, with carriers and stuff like that. I'm not knowledgeable enough in that area, um, but there will be obviously fewer options for homeowners and property owners. So hopefully the companies that remain serve them well. You know, that's it's an interesting world because, you know, normally you would think, okay, um, big company buys smaller companies, prices have to go up. But in the restoration world, prices aren't necessarily, uh, they don't necessarily follow that same pattern, I guess. Uh, what do you think about the, the pricing on, on restoration services over time? Oh, gosh. So are you talking about like, are we talking about price, prices that are in Xactimate? Is that kind of what you mean? Like how well, it's I mean, that's, over the years? That's part of the reason why it doesn't change that much is because right. they're, they all are many of these companies, not all, but many of them use that type of pricing system. How do you see this affecting that? Well, I hope that actually through a lot of efforts by the AGA and then people like um, Ben Justice and teaching companies how to create their own price lists and influence prices and give feedback and stuff like that, you know, the AGA. Um, I believe has made great progress in working with Exactware and um, teaching, like solidifying the fact that Xactimate prices are not word of God. That's not all that there is. Um, and I believe that Xactware is paying more attention to the feedback. And there have been some changes um, in pricing in a positive direction in some cases. So hopefully that will continue. And hopefully, you know, changes that have happened recently, like CoreLogic buying next year, hopefully things like that will also continue to encourage like Xactware and Simbility to make sure that their price lists are accurate and that they are being updated and that they are taking feedback from the contractors into consideration. You know, I was talking to um, the, uh, gosh, see the COO of Paul Davis. I was talking to him a few um, a couple of weeks ago, and he was telling me that within Paul Davis, they train all of their franchises on giving pricing feedback to Exactware, and they track it. The entire Paul Davis system actually tracks if their contractors are giving feedback like they're supposed to. Um, so hopefully, if if companies can pick up on that trend and keep that going, then that puts a lot of the the um, power into hopefully the restorer's hands, puts more of the power back into the restorer's hands. If everybody is giving feedback like they're supposed to and Xactware is listening or Simbility is listening, whatever that may be, hopefully that's going to affect prices in a positive direction for contractors. Okay. Cliff, let me, let me turn it over to you, see if you have any follow-ups. Um, not to those, but um, I, I do have some follow-ups. Go ahead. Uh, uh, I'm an old guy. I, I like to hold a book in my hand when I read it. Um, I've collected old issues of industry trade journals. I'm uncomfortable reading a book on a tablet. I, I just can't do it. It, it, it doesn't work. 
And uh, I'm just wondering if there's any hope for me, uh, you know, to stay current in the industry because this digital stuff really, uh, I find it difficult. So I'm just wondering if you have any recommendations or. Well, CNR is in print now, again, so people can get CNR in print. So um, there's going to be six print issues a year. It's going to be bi-monthly. As we're growing, I'm hoping that there's going to be more digital components like eBooks and stuff like that in the off months. I think that there's like so much good education out there that, you know, there will be ebb and flow there, but print is not dead. It is totally not dead. We still have it. I The print magazines are out. And um, I also this industry does love print. I don't know if you guys have been watching on social media and seen all the people posting their pictures with magazines and whatever, which is really fun. But I'm also trying to make sure that CNR and this kind of education is getting into the hands of new people coming into the industry. So I have partnerships with like REITs and RTI and um, Total Contents with Barb Jackson and um, um, Anissa Coy's Firehouse Education. I have relationships with organizations um, schools and they, I shipped them boxes of magazines and all of their students are going to get a copy of CNR and be encouraged to um, subscribe as well. So that's a whole new way. Hopefully that education is going to reach new people to the industry. If they're technicians or project managers are going to see them, not just owners. Hopefully this means that the reach will be further in print as well as the whole digital space. You know, I, the website and digital space kind of is what it is. There's a website and podcasts and columns and an e-newsletter and, you know, all of those things, but print, the print magazine is really what's going to be the core of CNR. Glad to hear that. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, historically, the thing that differentiated uh, CNR from other trade journals like R&R, Clean Facts, um, uh, historically what differentiated CNR, I should say. Um, I'm not as familiar with CNR as many people are. I think it was an RIA thing. And maybe you can tell us what differentiated that from the type of magazine you worked for prior to buying this. Okay. So from my vantage point, and I'm curious if other people would agree, I think that they would. CNR has traditionally been somewhat of an elevated magazine with a higher level of education. Um, uh, R&R, I would say, I, I tried to have the full breadth of content there, but it really did not get into super technical stuff. I loved to have somewhat technical articles while I was there, but also would run into the problem of like, if this doesn't fit, the audience maybe won't understand this. I don't know. Is R&R the best fit? And I know in the past, people wouldn't really turn to R&R for at high high level educational stuff. They would turn to the IICRC journal or they would turn to CNR. So I'm really hoping that CNR is going to continue to have that elevated content. Um, you know, I've had um, somebody submit their, um, the paper that they wrote for getting their, their CMP. I can't remember now, okay. but, um, yep. you know, one of their high designations within the RIA. And that's pretty high level stuff. So I'm also in the process of, creating an editorial advisory committee. I plan to have that in place by the end of the year, but I definitely need experts in the industry in different areas that can vet these articles for me that are way above my head technically um, and help with that. So I'm looking forward to putting that together. I have a few people tapped already. I'm kind of taking my time with it to make sure that I choose who I think will be best for the industry and best for the publication. So So I kind of see it as like um, 
you're you're not uh, correct me if I'm wrong. You're not going to a full like what Siri does, peer reviewed articles, and it's not you know just articles from people who are trying to sell something. It's kind of a you know in between the two. Does that make sense to you? Yes, that's exactly right. Yes, I'm hoping to have some restoration 101 stuff because hopefully there are some new restorers reading this and then also have more tech not to the point of being in a journal technical but you know high level education stuff as well yeah Yeah, uh, i was gonna say from my vantage point i think one of the things that um ria as an association had and as the publication had they always had uh trust I think among the uh, among the members, and I think within the industry. So I think it was a trusted um, resource, and I think that the articles that were in there tended not to be uh, an advertorial, but they tended to, uh, you know, provide guidance, provide information, provide you know an opinion, provide thought that sort of thing. So, I mean, from my perspective, that's what I saw. And uh, I think that, you know, if you continue that, uh, you'll do fine. That is, that is my goal. I, I know that there's a question coming, but I, it, you know, it, it's, it's a difficult line to walk. I've had a number of conversations with John Downey since this started, because he right. um, obviously has walked this line before quite a bit. Right. Um, and, you know, I, like you guys understand as well, some vendors in the industry are experts and designed their equipment or whatever and can be true drying experts or whatever. And then there are others that, yeah, they are not necessarily experts. They're salespeople. So my goal is definitely to make it very, very clear what's editorial and what's an ad and to try to not have a blurry line as much as possible and make it abundantly clear what has money behind it and what's purely editorial. You know, I'm curious. Do you know why RIA, I I assume it's financial. It was, it was kind of uh, expensive to keep running a a magazine that was basically a uh, member benefit. Um, Is that pretty much what happened with uh, them? Not, you know, wanting to sell the magazine. Um. Well, I approached them. I don't think that they had uh-huh. thought of selling it, but um, uh, yes, I, I yes, I think a lot of it was um, monetary. They, the RA has a lot of focuses right now, like the AGA and other things. Um, and having a staff to run a magazine is an undertaking and getting content is an undertaking and all of that. But I think they also saw, I hope, value and trust in me that I will be able to carry this forward and I'm still serving the industry as a whole. They still are going to have space in the magazine every single month for an article or their news updates or whatever. So they, hopefully this is going to expand the RIA reach considerably. I, you know, my, my core list um, is RA membership. Cause that's who used to get CNR, but I've grown it pretty substantially beyond that. And hopefully that's just helping the RIA even more expand and bring in new members and get more people involved. Now, how long, have, how long ago did you, this changeover take place? I'm not even sure. Uh, mid July. And you've put out how many paper, uh, print copies now? Just one. The first one came out um, like the week before the experience. So early September. Oh, it was good timing. It was about, <laughs> I had about 40 days from date of taking it over to having a print issue done, which was a really narrow window, but 
did it. I had a goal of having shows, uh, having issues at the experience and it worked out. So, yeah. And how has the, um, advertising, uh, the, the old advertisers from, you know, other magazines you've worked with, how have they re- uh, responded to this? Very well. Very Good. well. Good. And they like the print idea as well. Yes. A lot of people have been thrilled to have print back. Yes. Um, you know, everybody's kind of looking for something. Some people want lead generation. Some people want to know the clicks. Some people want the name and brand recognition that you get in print. I'm finding that a lot of people want a mix of all of it. Um, they don't want just print, but they also don't want just digital. They want a happy medium somewhere in there. So um, that's what we're trying to get. And yeah, a lot of people are really excited. I've had some people that kind of fell off the radar for a while in the past approach me and are excited and getting involved. And, um, the industry has been very supportive of me so far. And I'm, I am extremely thankful for that. And, you know, I'll bet there are other organizations out there in, in similar situations to RIA where, you know, they've been, uh, printing their own publication for years. It gets, I, I assume, and maybe you can uh, verify this for me, the most expensive part of printing a magazine is mailing it out. Is that accurate? Printing is more expensive than mailing. It uh, is. Yep. The printing is the most expensive for sure. Okay. But um, I find it pretty massively worthwhile, especially in this industry. I think, you know, maybe there are industries that would do just fine without print. I, this industry loves print. People have been really excited Good, good. That's good to hear. Uh, you know, the other thing, what new features do you plan for the for the magazine? Yeah. OK, so, um, well, for one, I'm working um, with Siri to bring in some more. You know, we were talking about that higher level content. And so I'm going to be working with them a little bit to um, have those higher level educational pieces Um so that's part of it. Uh, but I have new columns, new columnists. I really wanted CNR to be somewhere that, you know, over the time that I've been in restoration, I've met some people that I think are great experts in the industry and deserve a platform and are good writers and have a good voice and a lot of things to share. So um, I'm trying to bring new people into the fold. You know, there's a lot of the same names throughout all the industry publications. You see a lot of the same names and there's a good reason behind that. I mean, those people are true experts, but there are, you know, there's also new people that really know their stuff too. So um, I have, there's going to be a full disclosure column. That's what it's called with Scott Walden, who is the CEO of VetCorp, which is a, um, a franchise for veterans. Um, oh. And he knows his stuff is very passionate about restoration, knows a lot about program work and TPAs and pricing and running a business and all of that. And he has that interesting angle because he's a veteran and his business model is a little bit different. Um, and so I've, I've always enjoyed his articles when he would write for R&R and his expertise. Um, then Marcy Richardson, who is the head of HR for Guarantee Restoration Services in Louisiana, she is doing a team talk column that once a month and it's all HR related. So, um, you know, her first column, she got hate mail. So I'm considering that successful, right? That means people oh, are wow. reading. <laughs> yep. Um, so, you know, her first column was talking about COVID protocols and um, not anything opinion-based, but more like here are the things that employers employers need to know as far as COVID goes and the laws and um, all of that, how to navigate this weird time of vaccines and if someone's sick and tests and all of that. 
Um, and then the um, Brandon Reese and Chris, gosh, Nordyke, gosh, <laughs> um, they're behind, they're out of um, floodlight consulting services, but I met them back when they worked for Summit Restoration, and then they both worked for Belfort for a while, and they are doing a Mitt Resto Moments column, and they are also going to have just a trove of information to share, both from like the technical side of running jobs to company culture and things like that. And then the last columnist that I just, that's rounding it out is David Princeton, who is, um, he calls himself a client, uh, customer advocate. He's really a, you know, a, pre- a public adjuster and an independent okay. adjuster, both. Um, but he's doing a Dear David column. So um, restorers can write in their questions or maybe they're having problems on a job or whatever. And he's going to answer as kind of like a Dear Abby type thing. He's going to be answering contractor questions about when it comes to working with adjusters and try to help smooth over kind of that playing field as it is. Um, some of, he works some of his biggest clients are restoration companies that call him in to help. So he, um, he's really passionate about helping people and he doesn't, you know, I don't know. He's not, yeah. There are opinions about adjusters. <laughs> he doesn't pull his punches. huh? Yeah. I'm just curious the the article on COVID, why, why did she get such, you know, uh, tough feedback, I guess you would say. You know what? I don't remember actually, because um, it was a couple of months ago. Now was the first one, yep. uh, and I don't remember what the email was. And she, I don't think it was like terrible, terrible hate mail, but right, uh, right. But it, but it definitely caught people's attention. It's gotten, it's been one of the most popular articles on the website already, which is kind of funny. But um, yeah, well, it's a it's a it's a very uh, timely topic, actually. You know, and and you're dealing with people who go into other people's homes on a regular basis. And um, they're sometimes going into their most intimate, uh, you know, they're, they're going through their closets and, you know, things of that nature. So it, it, it's a tough business. I'll tell you what, well, we're going to stop and we're going to thank our sponsors at halftime. When we come back, I, I didn't prep you for this. So I'm going to prep you now. I'm curious what you think the biggest, uh, challenges are for the cleaning and restoration industry as after we get through COVID. So we'll be back. Uh, We're going to thank our sponsors. We'll be back in 90 seconds with Michelle Blevins. Our marquee sponsor, Instascope. More jobs done faster with the future of IAQ assessment technology. Unlimited samples, instant results, and cloud-based data at instascope.co. Association sponsors are AIHA, Healthy Workplaces, A Healthier World, AIHA.org, ACGIH, Advancing Careers of Professionals in Environmental Health, Industrial Hygiene, and Safety, Interested in Defining Their Science, ACGIH.org, The Cleaning Industry Research Institute, See More Deeply Through Science and Research, CIRI science.org the indoor air quality association iaqa.org the restoration industry association the granddaddy of the restoration industry restorationindustry.org the iicrc a nonprofit standards development and certifying body for the cleaning and restoration industry iicrc.org healthy buildings america Honolulu, Hawaii, January 18 through 20, 2022.
going to hb2021-america.org. Industry sponsors are AEML Laboratories. Free shipping, great pricing, same-day results with no rush fee, AEMLINC.com. Particles Plus, feature-rich particle counters and air quality instrumentation. Count on us, ParticlesPlus.com. Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, over 20 years manufacturing accurate, reliable IAQ instrumentation for portable, short-term, and continuous monitoring, GrayWolfSensing.com. TSI Inc., an industry leader in precision instrumentation for monitoring indoor air. Learn how to expand your IAQ investigations, TSI.com. Sunbelt Rentals, availability, reliability, and ease for all your IAQ and restoration needs at sunbeltrentals.com. April Air, healthy air, healthy home, April, A-I-R-E. And Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online magazine for industry professionals and consumers, healthyindoors.com. All right, we're back with Michelle Blevins. She's the owner and uh, editor, I guess, the publisher of uh, CNR Magazine now. It's great to great to have you back. Let's, I, before the half, I asked you, you know, what are the what are the big things restoration companies are dealing with today? How do you rank them as problems for the industry? Oh gosh. Okay. So number one's hiring, no doubt. Hiring is absolutely the number one big thing. Um, COVID and learning how to navigate that is big. Um, I would say, you know, cons- consolidation is probably the other, I, you know, if I'm going to talk top three, it's hiring is number one. Um, consolidation is somewhere up there and yeah. <laughs> Okay. And COVID, of course, is the one that hopefully will be passing as time goes on. But that hiring thing, I don't know if that's going to change. Um, Is it just paying people more? Is there more to it than that? Uh, There's way there's more to it than that. It's really difficult to compete with, you know, like a Home Depot or a local car wash that's paying 16 plus dollars an hour and you get to be inside in air conditioning or heat in the winter and you're not getting dirty and you're not going in a crawl space and you're not going in an attic and you're not getting called out in the middle of the night to suck sewage out of someone's basement. Um, so it's really, it can, I think continues to come down to the issue of there just aren't that many people in the trades right now. I think that there has been a bigger push in recent years for more of the younger generations to to go into the trades, which is a good thing. Um, you know, we went through these years of college being it. And if you don't go to college, you're never going to get a job. And that was wrong. Like there are really good jobs to be had in the trades and good money to be made. And I think that finally that message is starting to come out again. And, um, there are other opportunities for people to find careers without going to college. And so hopefully, hopefully there will be an influx in the trades. I, it's just really difficult. I, you know, I pay really isn't everything. It's not, I mean, a a lot of restoration companies are paying top dollar and trying to get people in and it's still the hours and the work that needs to be done and all that, unless you find people that really, really care about other people and have like that servant's heart that you have to have to be a restorer. It's just not going to work. If somebody's just looking for a job at a paycheck, they don't typically make good restorers. I don't think. You know, and and I can't think of any, like automation, you know, there's not a robot that can go in and take these people's place. How are there other ways they're trying to work around the lack of new people? 
Well, remote estimating is definitely a growing thing. I mean, I know of some restoration companies that do not even have an estimator on staff anymore. They're using remote estimating thanks to using things like um, DocuSketch and Matterport, and they just send those images to their estimator and somebody offsite remote, and they do it all for them. So that is definitely a big, big trend in the industry of getting rid of um, project managers. It's interesting because a few years ago, there was, you know, it used to be pretty common to have like write and run project manager estimators. And then in the recent years, that's kind of divided out. And so then there's project managers and estimators in the two different roles. And now it's kind of more that the estimator is just going away and there are project managers. Um, But you're right. There's a lot in this industry that's not going to go automated. Like, yes, you can't have a robot restore a house or whatever. Um, there's technology that's helping, you know, drones can be used for roof inspections and, uh, things like that. But other than outsourcing some of the work that you can like estimating, if that works, and if you have somebody you trust and you know that they're going to write you a good estimate without being on site, that seems difficult, but it's doable and people are having success with it. So, you know, and it it seems like if, uh, that there's there's got to be people who are interested in in the science of helping people get through disasters you know and and obviously you don't want to pull out wet carpet all your life i mean there comes a time when you know you've got to move on you've got to use your brain a little bit more and uh i would think maybe by letting people know it's not just you know sucking out water and cutting out drywall there's a lot of other things that can be done in that industry yes I totally agree. Um, I'm working on a committee in the RIA for a a fall technical conference. It's going to be more for project managers. And one of the things that we are pulling in a speaker on is teaching soft skills. That's actually like the most important, one of the most important things about being a restorer, no matter what your position within the company is, is having those skills to relate to the customer and good customer service. Um, You know, I got to mention this because I think you're right on there. And there's a lot of people that go and take sociology classes in, in college and so on. And, and I don't think they even imagine how helpful that would be in a, in a position like someone who's doing restoration for people, yeah. just, just being able to communicate with people and, and empathize and, and then help them through these difficult times. Those are, those are really important people. And I don't think anybody in a sociology program anywhere in the United States is looking at restoration as their future. But uh, I think that's what we need. We need people like that who are able to go out and help people feel, you know, better about the situation that it's in, they're in good hands, that it's going to be taken care of, and then to get the work done. So I'm hopeful. That kind of leads me to this. You are a successful young female entrepreneur in this area. What would you tell other young people looking for a future in that profession? Um, Restoration is amazing. I Never thought that this is where I would be, of course. Um, I worked in TV news before this, and I have to admit that despite being in news for years before coming into restoration, I covered fires and I covered floods, and I even was at somebody's house that got raised up after a flood. You know, I, but it never occurred to me what happens after the fire, after the flood. It never occurred to me what happens after the news crews leave and the rest of, you know, the viewers forget about this disaster that happened to somebody. That's when restorers come in. Restorers are really, you know, the first responders are heroes and restorers can be heroes too, for sure. They're putting lives back together after the disaster. Um, So I think, what, sorry. 
I said, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Well, look at what's going on in New Orleans in Southern Louisiana right now. It's no longer on the news. You don't hear a thing about it. Maybe once in a while you get a blurb about the fact that they can't pick up all the garbage that's left behind. But, uh, you know, once the the fire and the flood is over, they're moving on to somewhere else and someone has to pick up the pieces. And that's what restoration people do every day. Yeah, I think there are so many rewarding positions that you can have in this industry. You don't have to, you know, there are, there are people who do sales or marketing for restoration companies that, that are women that are amazing and love their jobs. And then there are amazing project managers that are women. There are just, there's the full gamut of positions and opportunities and the sky's the limit. And if you love serving people, this is a great industry to be in with really good people. You're going to be surrounded by good colleagues nationwide really um and then it gives you a chance to serve people which for people who like to serve that fills your own cup right so yeah cliff let me like let's see if you have a follow-up for him um, not on that but uh, i do have um some follow-ups on on, on some much other issues joe thanks um i want to just talk about um, advertising and uh, the role that it plays uh, in the magazines. I mean, I've been asked, I've been around a long time, I've been asked to write for a lot of magazines and some I did and some I didn't. And the ones I didn't, um, I, I had ethical challenges mm-hmm. uh, because I didn't necessarily want to see my name in print in the same publication where there were disingenuous articles where there was bovine excrementia and so on and so forth. And uh, so it, it was easier to say no than, than, than to say yes. And the thing that I, I find most amazing is how creative uh, some of these people are in, in terms of doing it. And the one that concerns me the most is this, this third-party endorsement mm-hmm. where uh, a manufacturer hires an expert to write an article kind of, you know, saying that I've tested this product and it's like really great and so on and so forth. And that's, that to me was like a new level of, of uh, disinformation and, and deception. And uh, it just bothered me. So I just wanted to express my opinion. You can either respond to it or not, but I just wanted to put that out there. No, I, I appreciate that. And I know exactly what you're talking about. And I am definitely aware that that has happened in the past. And so I, um, <laughs> I love all the comments on the side. Um, I, I know that it happens and I am going to really try my best to not have those weird, unethical things happen. I've definitely learned a lot since I started at R&R in 2015. I've learned a lot since then. And um you know, I want people to tell me if something is like, oh, Michelle, that's not great. Like I'm open to letters to the editor or responses or addressed an email to me like, hey, you messed up or I don't like this or what, you know, I, I have thick skin and um, I know that that has happened and I am aware of it and I know who tends to do that. So um you know, I'm not always going to get it right, but I'm going to try my best. Well, and I, I mean, I can understand it in, in your position, you know, working for another publication, um, you have boards of directors to answer to and financial yeah. things and all this stuff comes into it. So I suspect that at least on one occasion, if not 
more than one occasion, uh, you know, someone was not even asking you, but ordering you or telling you that, you know, you, you got to do this, whether you like it or not. And I'm sure that maybe that was part of the decision why you decided to, you know, kind of go out on your own and create your own culture and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. I think the restoration industry has actually been a little bit spoiled when it comes to content and magazines, because I'm pretty familiar with a lot of other trade magazines and B2B publications. Mm-hmm. And most of them have are almost completely filled with advertiser articles. Yeah. Like, you know, the one of the people who mentored me through this process um, is a publisher, not in restoration at all. Um, and their magazines are almost entirely written by advertisers. And there are a lot of other publications that are like that. And so this industry is spoiled in that they're used to having good, high quality education, which is how my how publications should be, I believe. And so I'm firmly sticking to that. And, you know, I also have in my head, like I have a certain ratio of pages that I won't go over for ads in a magazine because I want there to be a certain ratio. You know, I want it to be educational. You know, I want the balance to be education, not ads. And um, so, you know, but some people do come for the ads. They want to know, you know, what's up. No, absolutely. It it is presented as such and not presented as something else. And, and I will, I will confirm that Michelle did listen to those of us that complained about those issues in the past. And, and I, I, I really appreciate that. I'm happy to see you've moved over. I got a quick question before we go to the roundup. You said in 2015, you started writing uh, in the restoration world. What, what got you from news TV news to writing for restoration world and, and publishing a magazine or, or editor or whatever your position was there? Uh, well, honestly, the TV station that I worked for, my husband worked there as well, and it was not a healthy place to work at all. It was terrible. We lived in northern Michigan. We were ready to move back to the Detroit area where our families are. We had just started a family and all of that, and my husband had been looking in the Detroit area, and I had been looking, and I saw um, I saw the posting for R&R come up, come up, and I was like, that sounds interesting. I'll apply, and it, it worked out. I had no idea what I was getting into, and I am very glad that I took the chance because I, my husband and I actually had this pact that like he was going to get a job first and I would just follow and get whatever I could. But I saw this one and was like, Oh, I think I'm just going to float a resume and see what happens. So I'm, and it I'm worked glad out. it worked out. I really you I missed. Are. Now you're the missed, owner of your own. <laughs> I, yes. I missed working in, when I was in TV, I was behind the scenes and I didn't get to interact with the community or anything like I had done at the newspaper before that. And that was what I missed the most. I really, wow. really, really missed working with people and the community and all of that. You've got the perfect background for this, Michelle. Let's go to the roundup. The Roundup is brought to you by April Air, providing healthy humidity, ventilation, and air purity solutions for new and existing homes. April Air, healthy air, healthy home at aprilaire.com. Well, this will be an easy roundup for me. I only have to say one word, but give me give me just a second. Before I do, I want to mention again that we'll have Afterthoughts, the Afterthoughts Forum. You can go to afterthoughts.iaqradio.com and, and uh, we'll continue the discussion there. My one word to continue the roundup is Pete. <laughs> hey, guys, how you doing? Can you hear me, good, can you hear me okay there? We you can sound hear you. great. Uh, good. Well, first of all, I really uh, enjoyed uh, enjoyed listening to you guys and uh, banter and go back and forth to Michelle. Michelle, appreciate your honesty. Um, 
So bovine excrementia. So let me, <laughs> let me tell you the first time I heard that. It was sometime, it was somewhere in the mid-80s when uh, Marty, we used to do these technical seminars under the old uh, NIFR, the fire brand. And uh, Marty used that term in some talk he was given from the podium. And of course, this was before, you know, uh, the digital age. You, you couldn't Google anything. You couldn't ask Siri. I didn't know what the heck that meant. I said, what's Marty got crazy? He's talking. It sounded Latin, right? And uh, I, uh, I couldn't even find it in the dictionary. And uh, anyway, finally, somebody told me what it meant. And uh, <laughs> I, I always thought that was great. So uh, that was something. So listen, I made a couple of notes on stuff that you guys are talking about that I want to address. And it's, it's kind of funny uh, listening to some of the points that Michelle brought up, that the roots uh, of some of the stuff that she's doing today existed in the early years, maybe even before she was born. So the first one that caught my attention was that column called Dear David with the guy who's the public adjuster deals with a lot of contractors. In the very early years of the of the columns in the magazine that uh, both Marty and Steven Spivak wrote, but specifically with Marty, the original columns in the 80s started out by members calling in and asking Marty a question. Mm -hmm. And then essentially he would pose that question and then he would answer it. And that went on for several, several years. Um, so it's interesting now, you know, years later that we're actually reverting back to that. I kind of I like that. Um, one of the other things, the funny thing is when you we're talking about the remote estimating and how much of that stuff's going on, of course, a lot of that is really due to the technology. Mm -hmm. But I think a big part that drives that, that's been an issue where stores had to deal with for years, has to do with pricing, because it's it's been very difficult to get insurance companies or even property management companies to actually pay for project management and supervision that was legitimate to a job site. They all thought this fell under that kind of O&P, the 20% O&P, which it really didn't. So anything that... Uh, any way the technology could be used to uh, to to uh, reduce cost, but not necessarily reduce the, qu the quality of project. I could see that happening. Mm -hmm. But let me tell you, that's been going on for years in a different way. So here's the low tech version of that, Michelle. The first article I ever wrote for the industry was solicited from me by John Downey in the mid 90s when he first launched Clean Facts. And he wanted me to write something. He never told me what. He said, what do you want to write about? So anyway, the title of the first article I ever wrote was called The, the Lead Technician, a Restoration Technician is the Heart and Soul of a Restoration Company. And that the, the part of that philosophy came off of in the remodeling industry thing called Lead Carpenter, where the lead carpenter on a project basically runs the job. And for many, many years, the lead technicians were very critical and very important to running a job. It wasn't until the latter years that the estimators and project managers became more prominent. And, um, but, but a lot of the way back in those days, what a lot of good estimators and project managers would do, if they knew that they could train a good lead technician, it was the eyes and ears and they couldn't get out to every job. They, they would tell them they'd be able to estimate and bid these jobs without looking at them by having to bring a bunch of Polaroid pictures in. That's the low tech thing. Bring in a bunch of Polaroid pictures, lay them down in the table, tell me what we got. And then based on that, that actually could write an estimate. So 
what's going on today is just kind of the advancement of that. It, it went from a low tech to the high tech, but where there's a will is a way and you can still kind of get that stuff done. Um, I think the whole point of you putting an advisory committee together, obviously is very, very important. You know, for all the years that uh, Patty ran the magazine, she never really needed or had an advisory panel. And I think the main reason for that was is because they, they had Marty and Steven Spivak on staff and they were essentially the clearinghouse for a lot of the articles that came into the magazine that needed vetting. And she knew enough people and it was probably more of an informal kind of way. But I do think that's a, is a very critical, important thing, which I think, you know, Michelle is, is a principle that Michelle's really seems to embrace they have to vet these articles when they go in there if you want to differentiate, you know, between it being a disguised advertorial, if you would, and really just giving good technical information to the readership. I think doing a blended, uh, you know, one of the things to keep in mind that, that made CNR really a great magazine over the years wasn't just the technical articles. It was kind of the opinion pieces and the pieces that came in from the members on a wide range of restoration topics. There was several years there, there was a column called Members Forum which was kind of a, the members would submit things. It was kind of a hybrid between an, an op-ed and a letter to the editor. It wasn't either, but it was in a column and it had a disclaimer and uh, it, 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 it wasn't censored, if you would. So it allowed the members to get on touchy, you know, kind of controversial issues. In the, the last two or three years with Marty, you know, before he retired, and that was, you know, still several years before he passed, a lot of his columns at the end were really, he addressed those kinds of issues. It kind of got away from the technical. And I remember one time thinking, if it wasn't Marty, some of those articles would have been really right on the edge to, to publish in, in the magazine. Because the associations are always so sensitive with, you know, political implications of what's put out there. But Marty had his pulse, you know, on where the industry is today, years before that dealing with the TPAs, the pricing issues, you know, all the, a lot of the stuff that we're struggling today, which, you know, is it being addressed by the AGA? So I thought that's interesting. And I, I think Michelle, hopefully you'll, you'll still have a, you know, something in the magazine that deals with other issues outside the technical, it seems with the human resources and some of these other columns you're putting together, I think they're probably going to going to address that. The soft skills things is a really important thing that you brought up. You know, so any of the, members and people have been around for at least 10, maybe 15 years. You know, REA had a lot of different debates that we did. And we did a series of debates that spanned from 2006 to maybe 2012. They had a lot of little catchy names, but uh, one of the major insurers that participated in one of those uh, debates and um, we actually were able to publish the PowerPoint that they put out on addressing what the challenging issues were. Of course, it had all the disclaimers and I won't mention who they were because they don't always like their name being used. But what I'll tell you is this. They pointed out 11 that what they called them were challenges, meaning, you know, these are the issues that they saw as a, as a major insurer. And of the 11 points that they pointed out, most of half of them were, you know, technically related stuff, which has lended to today with uh, a lot of the software programs and, you know, the documentation all. But the at least five of them, as I can recall, we're all based on lack uh, improper communication. And, yep. and that, that was it. So that, that was pretty validating at the time to hear that because I think we, you know, I think the best uh, project managers, lead technicians, customer service reps on the phone are people that really have those soft skills. 
Um, well said, Pete. Yeah. Hey, uh, Pete, I want to just give you an amen on the, you know, not getting paid for estimates and so on. I, it's not just the restoration world. My son has a little construction company up here. Everybody thinks, hey, you know, he's going to give me a free estimate and write me a scope of work, and then I'm going to shop it around to other contractors in the area. Uh, nothing more frustrating, nothing than, than dealing with that stuff and not getting paid for for probably five to 10 hours a week my son puts into that type of thing. So I, I think it's a lot of industries that face that problem. Well, no, that's true. And one of, one of the, uh, one of uh, well, a good friend of Cliff's and mine, some people have been around, he won the 2009 uh, Marty King Award, possibly Phil McLaughlin, the infamous CR number 45. He wrote an article years ago called There's No Free Lunch. And he, he was never able to get it published, but it was one of these cult things that distributed. And essentially, he, they didn't, he was talking out against the insurance companies that were essentially, um, they wanted restorers to give free estimates on the fact that they, you know, well, we'll give you some more jobs in the future. And of course, it never really worked like that. And that was always a contentious issue. And uh, anyway, but you're right, there, there really is no free lunch. Um, the, the other thing, uh, Michelle, the interesting point that you brought up, Michelle, was, uh, that you were initially when you were in the, your main journalism, when you first started your career, before you got into restoration, you were involved after the fire. Well, we, uh, the old ASCR and whether this is in the archives and could be something that maybe could be part of a C, the CNR deal that could be leveraged. We did. We did about three or four videos back in the day that were available to the members and in some cases available to non-members that, you know, they could, that, that for industry education. One of them was actually called After the Fire. And uh, it was a whole video of what happens after the fire strikes. Another one was called Water Damage Risk Diagnosis and Repair in 1990. That was an industry effort that was funded by a lot of suppliers and Marty wrote the script. And that was, a, you know, that was back, when you use the old VHS videos before we moved to CDs, you know, and then the technology that we have today and YouTube and everything else. So it's funny all these years later, we're talking about that. The industry has already been through there. It's kind of a cyclical type of thing. Um, I guess the last, last kind of comment I have that I wanted to kind of close with was, uh, you know, my experience in first meeting Michelle and, you know, I, I knew about the CNR transfer, through a little birdie that gave me a, a professional courtesy call, which I appreciated, you know, before it hit the wires. And I was pretty excited when I heard that Michelle was going to take it over. And, uh, you know, a lot of some of the issues about dealing with the uh, advertorials and some of the policies of the large, uh, you know, publishers, we, I don't need to rehash that. Cliff vetted it, Michelle's comment on it. I think that's fine. But, um, I remember when she was, when I guess maybe Michelle, you're only with the industry for maybe six months, certainly less than a year. And our, uh, REA was coming up on its seven, 70th anniversary uh, year. Normally the association celebrates every 10 years. And then of course the 25 to 50 and the 75 silver golden. And I don't know whether me and Cliff, I don't know whether we'll be around for the century mark for the hundred one. If we are, <laughs> they'll probably have to wheel us out of the home. But, uh, <laughs> but anyway, you know, so Michelle reached out to me. I, I didn't really know who she was at the time, but, you know, obviously I knew she was the editor of R&R. And she asked me, she wanted to do a piece on the history of the association. Now, no one actually ever asked me that before. And, and up to that point, to that knowledge, 
I don't know that it, it that, that even the association never kind of revisited the history to that. So I, I gave, I had a 90 minute interview with her and gave her all the nuts and bolts starting back from, you know, 1946 up to that 70th year. And then uh, Cliff will remember that uh, Cliff and our executive director at the time, Mark Sevatelli, we kind of edit it to put you put some clips in there, comments. And then that article was published, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe a few weeks before the actual 70th issue under CNR. And it was a behind the scenes kind of collaboration between industry media and the association, kind of the best of both worlds. And that's when that famous picture that's been out there that I um, had set Michelle, I call the Restoration Goodfellas, I had a picture of Cliff and Major Long and uh, Ron Alfie Alfred with all their mustaches and mutton chops and everything from back in the day <laughs> at a convention. And uh, anyway, it was pretty cool. So that was, uh, Michelle really did a, a fabulous job on that. And uh, anyway, so here we are uh, five years later, Michelle, and uh, you know, anything that I could do from a historical art standpoint to help with the uh, kind of the transition from the old to the new under the CR brand and expand it, you know, the way some of the things you're talking about, certainly be, uh, you know, be, be looking forward to, uh, to doing that with you. And uh, anyway, so that's kind of it. So with that, I'll, I'll pass it back to you guys to go around for final comments. Well, thank you, Pete. And uh, Cliff, any final thoughts, final questions? No, I'm, I'm good. Thank you, Michelle. And, uh, and we'll talk more in the future. Yeah, Michelle, before we go, any final thoughts, final things you'd like to mention? No, thank you very much for having me. People who are listening, you can get a free subscription to CNR. It's yeah. free. CNRmagazine.com. You can get a subscription. You can choose digital or print, whichever you prefer. Everybody's a little different. Um, thank you for having me on. And Pete, the invitation is still open to be on my podcast to talk about history stuff. I know you're going to maybe bring some other people with you. So, uh, Michelle, one other thing. Uh, we're going to, we have this thing called Afterthoughts, and we'd like you to kind of uh, participate in it. And, you know, kind of the way that it works is uh, today's uh, subject matter is open. Uh, for the next week, it closes uh, on the next show. So if you peek in every now and then, you may find, uh, you know, we'll post today's comments and you may find some new comments and questions and things like that. So I think uh, you'll get more information from the audience by uh, checking it out. All right. I will All do right. that. Okay. Michelle, let me, let me make sure I have it right. It's C-A-N-D-R-Magazine.com. That's right. I got it in the chat. Everybody get your subscription order now. Thanks so much to this week's guest, Michelle Blevins. Uh, great job. And uh, looking forward to many more discussions with you as time goes on. This should be a real nice change for the industry. Really happy to have you. Thank you very much, gentlemen. I appreciate you having me. Thank you. Thank you. You're quite welcome. I also want to thank my co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. John, you got to have faith at the controls. Of course, the restoration industry's global watchdog, Pete Consigli. Most importantly, our growing group of loyal listeners and our sponsors. Check out the afterthoughts.iaqradio.com. We'll be back. Oh, by the way, next Friday, this is going to be an interesting show. We've got, uh, let's see here, Chris Howells, who's the senior product manager for ventilation and purification at April Air. So we're going to continue our discussion of mechanical systems and HVAC next week on the next episode of IAQ Radio Plus. For IAQ Radio, I'm Spike Rio saying thanks for listening. 